The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Now, this today, where on the third of a series that we're doing, um, we have been doing over this past few times, and the series is called Life Force or Forced Life. And we're asking a question in this series, which is whether or not the life force that's within us is simply an imperative to live, you know, something that just drives us and is just an on switch that keeps our motors running, leaving it to our mind to get into gear and our own wits to tell us which way to go forward. You know, is that the way? Or whether or not that life force can actually guide us in the way that we live our lives. Are we on an automatic? Is it just a, an on switch, that life force, and we have to decide everything? Or can that life force actually guide us in our lives? Really, the question is, is there a latent order within that life force that can lead us into action that will be good for both us and the greater whole? Or really, is it up, up to us to try and work out what we do? I always think that what we're doing here is trying to work out how to live our lives more skillfully. And to me, this is the million-dollar question. How much do we have to do? Or how much do we let go and allow to have happen? I mean, obviously, it is a bit of both. You know, we have to decide that this life force is worth trusting in the first place. And then we have to work out, you know, how do we cooperate with it? You know, is there something out there that we can trust? And how do we cooperate? There's, there's definitely some working out to do in our lives. And in the last couple of weeks that I've spoken, uh, we've looked at the order that's in the universe. The universe obviously does have a, an, an order. You know, the planets are up there. Sun comes up every day. We don't explode into space. You know, there is a certain stuff that keeps everything together. There's obviously an order. And I was really asking whether or not that order reaches into our personal lives. Does that order reach into what, how we experience our lives? And I suggested in the second session that life of itself is chaotic. You know, life is chaotic. And in order to bring that order into the way that we run our lives, we have to connect with that place in our soul that that, that life force connects with us. We have to go into ourselves and, and be with our soul in some way. There's an aspect 
of the soul of the universe and our soul that is connected. Now, I'm suggesting that we have to go into ourselves to find that order. We have to consciously bring that life-giving and life-affirming order into our day-to-day living in order for us to have an ordered life to experience the order. There's something that we have to do. And working out how to do that really is the nature of free will. You know, we have a choice as to whether or not to do that, to choice as to whether or not we, we bring order to the chaos that happens in our lives or we just react to the chaos. That, that really is our choice. Realizing the order in our lives, I'm suggesting the order in our lives is not dictated by the circumstances but the amount of order in our lives is dictated by the way that we relate to the circumstances. So the order is not dictated by the circumstances, it's dictated by the way that we relate to the circumstances. Whatever happens to us, it's within our power to contain it. And rest in the idea, this is what I'm suggesting, and rest in the idea that the universe is fundamentally a friendly place. And however we've judged those circumstances, be they good or bad, as as far as our judgment goes, there is something deeper going on. Like that poem with the sorrows, you know, you may not want them, but actually maybe they're there to create room for something else. That something is offering us a challenge in those circumstances. And to deal with the experience of what's going on, however painful, at that deep level, is what we're asked to do. And in doing that, we transform our lives by dealing with it at a deep level. The only other alternative is simply to react to the circumstances and operate out of that pain and anger and fear that goes on in our lives. We have a real choice as to to whether or not we, we just react or we hold. In other words, by bringing something of our souls into the situation and by focusing on that, rather than the effects of the circumstances themselves, we can bring an order and depth that belies the chaos that we're normally subject to. It's within us to be able to do that. And I'm suggesting that the action that we use to bring about this, the action that we we actually bring out of ourselves to have this happen, is what I would call an actively passive stance. It's an actively passive is that where you are actually active but you're choosing till the right moment to be passive in that activeness there's a lovely uh, poem or stanza from the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu and he says the ancient masters were profound and subtle their wisdom was unfathomable there is no way to describe it all we can do is described their appearance. They were careful as someone crossing an iced over stream, alert as a warrior in enemy territory, courteous as a guest, fluid as melting ice, shapeable as a block of wood, receptive as a valley, clear as a glass of water. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till right action arises by itself? 
The master does not seek fulfillment. Not seeking, not expecting, she is present and can welcome all things. Like that poem from Ruby. Can welcome all things. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till right action arises by itself? That's what we're talking about. It sums up that stance of being actively passive. Not seeking, not expecting, but being present so that we can welcome all things. Which speaks to the idea of not being attached, as we've talked about before, to the outcomes in our lives, which is difficult. We so often want something to happen or we want something not to happen because it seems that it'll have either a good effect on us or a bad effect on us. We're incredibly partial and fickle to the circumstances that happen. And there, in that partialness and fickleness to the outcomes, lies our corruption and our suffering. We want it to be a certain way. But what we're being asked to be here is like, like that phrase from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. And could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life? Your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. And you would accept the seasons of your heart, even as you've always accepted the seasons that pass over the fields. And you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. So the first step really is letting go of our attachment to the outcomes. Not, not stopping striving for things. You know, it's important to be going for things, but not being invested in whether or not they're going to bring about the result that you want. Again, Lao Tzu says, do your work, step back. That is the only path to serenity. Do your work and step back. That is the path to serenity. And then when you do your work and step back, then... Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till right action arises by itself? And that's difficult. We always want to rush in and fix things the moment they seem out of kilter. But an actively passive stance is one of wakeful conscious readiness. Wakeful conscious readiness that doesn't rush in but waits for right action to arise in itself. I'm reminded also of that lovely quote by Viktor Frankl that I've used before, that between stimulus and response there is a space. Between stimulus and response there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So we do can recognize that moment where we have a space to choose how to respond. But this actively passive stance is, is really more than just waiting to respond. I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to hit him now. But I'm going to wait and see whether or not it is the right action to hit him. It is. Boom. You know. I mean, we're like that. No matter how much we think about it, clearly. Am I going to have that sandwich? I'll wait. Yes, I am. You know, we, we really do persuade ourselves. You know, this actively passive stance, you know, is more than just that. It comes from a deeper place that says in the words of Julian of Norwich, all will be well 
and all manner of things will be well. It is a sense of that it is going to be okay. You know, that, that quote from Romans 8, 20, you made up, I think it's 20, which says that, you know, all things work for good for those that love the Lord. It's the same thing. All things work for good. The sorrow, the joy, all things work for good if your heart is in the right place. If you are in that stance, it comes from a deep conviction that fundamentally life is turning in the right direction. And that if we let it turn in our lives, then something new, something beyond our expectation will happen. A horizon that we'd not previously considered will appear. A horizon that we'd not previously considered will appear. Because let's face it, we're so limited by our imagination. You know, think of the best thing that could happen in your life right now. You know, if all the chips fell the right way, okay, you know, if that care home did become available, no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, but if all the things did go in the right direction, if everything did the right direction, how would it turn out for you if the best happened? Having thought that, I want you to consider that life is able to deliver to you something that's beyond that wildest dreams. Yeah, actually, there's more that can happen that's beyond that. And it could offer you horizons that you could never have imagined. And it follows that you're therefore being limited by your imagination, by being limited in what's possible. You know, I've said this before, but you know, if you'd said to me 40 years ago that you would be, you know, when I was like, you know, rushing around and working in advertising. If you said that in 40 years' time that I'd be working as a priest, you know, and I'd be, you know, running a, ch- a church and you'd be, I'd be, I think you were mad. You know, <laughs> girls, islands, yachts, that's what I had in my mind. <laughs> you know, that, that was really where I was going for. You know, Richard Branson's private, yes, NECA, I will have that, I'll have the yacht. You know, that's really the extent of my imagination. And, you know, the horizon that actually opened up for me was totally different. And I could not have seen that horizon. I really couldn't have seen that horizon from where I was. You know, I love that idea that wealth is the ability to appreciate experience. Wealth is the ability to appreciate experience. It's not money in the bank or net value. As we all know, you can have that and still be miserable. You know, it's the ability to appreciate experience. It's the extent to which you can appear it, experience and appreciate what you're experiencing. And without appreciation, there is no value. You need appreciation to create value. In fact, you know, the word appreciate comes from the Latin word appretarius, which means, funnily enough, to set a price to. The word appreciate means to set a price to. In other words, the creation of value is in our own hands. I think it's quite interesting. The creation of value is in our own hands. And when that's expanded, when your very horizons of wealth are expanded, so it's possible for your life to be expanded. In other words, I'm saying that this stance of being actively passage, passive actually enables you to appreciate value. It's saying, I will wait till the right action arises by itself. 
waiting until something greater than my imagination comes through. Something that the life force that's driving my life just produces. I'm going to let that have free reign and see what it brings. And it is totally embedded within the Christian culture as well. I mean, you, you've got to look, you know, when you look at, at the Lord's Prayer, for example, you know, that whole prayer, and we, we, it's, it's on the sheet for us to say a bit later on, is an actively passive stance. It's the acknowledgement of the existence of that life force, Father of us. That's the acknowledgement of that, 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 that life force. You know, hallowed be your, na- your nature. You know, may your kingdom come. It doesn't say, my, may my broker's kingdom come, or may, may my kingdom come. It says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. That's what we're waiting for, the clarification. As in heaven, so on earth. You know, allow me just to wait for that. Give us this day our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Give us this day our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Let me wait till I see where I should be going. You know, let us not be led into temptation. You know, let me not just fiddle around with my life. I'm, you're always so tempted to fiddle around and make it happen. But rescue us from chaos. Rescue us from that, that, rescue us from evil. Rescue us from that chaos that draws us in. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. That's what we're actually saying in that prayer. You know, it takes you right through to that moment where you accept the existence of that life force that is within us, that it's sacred, that we want it to consume us and we want to conform to it, that we understand our place and its purposes in us. You know, that is a mind-blowing journey to get to that point. And, it, you know, arriving at that point can transform your life. It also can bring answer to problems. You know, when I'm sometimes faced, you know, what do I do? Do you sit with those words? And so often something does come through. But if you start taking it off in your own direction, that other Bible verse, you know, what good is it for a man who gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This is about cultivating our soul in our lives. It's about waiting till our souls speak to us. You know, I, I, the question is, are you willing to, you know, to do that? You know, to wait for your soul to speak to you before you go off and do something. Thomas Merton says it's really about humility, this. He says, you don't need to know precisely what's happening or where it's all going. This is Thomas Merton. What you need to do is to recognize the possibilities and challenge, challenges offered by the present moment and embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. That's the stance. And if we, if we could see the gifts that we have in our lives, then gratitude and humility really are the only real responses to our lives. And yet we tend to take, take it all for granted. You know, more than that, we demand, we complain, we argue, we beseech, we long for greener grass, we fight, we take, we forget the gift that's right in front of us. And humility really is our true response to life. It puts us in exactly the right place with regards to everything that's happened. You know, we become that house guest that Rumi spoke of. This being human is a guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. And that is the state of humility. We welcome them because we recognize our own poverty. 
in that actively passive stance. Everything is a gift because we came into this world with nothing. And having arrived at this point, we are at that place of true humility to be able to see the wealth that is before us. When we know we have nothing, then we can look around and see all that we can appreciate and become truly wealthy. You know, we had that reading a couple of weeks ago, consider the lilies of the field. They do not labor, they do not spin. Yet I tell you that in all his glory, Solomon was not adorned like these. You know, our lives can just happen. A position of the knowledge of wealth comes from humility, which is exact opposite to the way that the world looks at it. In reality, the position of humility is the only way to achieve real wealth. To really see the trees, to appreciate being in a community, to see everyone's beauty, the beauty in people's faces, the light as it comes in through the windows, the sound of silence. You have to recognize your emptiness in order to be filled by it. You know, look at Jesus in the last days of his life. You know, after that kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane, he became actively passive. He allowed himself to be taken, to be scourged, to be beaten, to be whipped, to be crucified. You know, beforehand, he was turning water into wine. He was healing people. He became actively passive in that, in that period of time. And just looking at those, the way that he acted, is that actively passive stance? You know, that's how we can be led. It doesn't, at first sight, necessarily look like the place we want to go. But it is the place of transformation. It is the place that enables us to make a transformation in the way that we experience our lives. And funny enough, it also transforms what goes on in the world. You know, by taking that stance, our presence transforms that which is around us because we're operating in a different way. And next week, what I'm going to talk about is how we operate in the world with that, how that affects the way the world works and how we make that, that slow transformation that comes about in the world through the attitude that we take in our lives. Okay. I'm done. Let's just, uh, just take a few moments just to think about the world. We just turn on the news every day and there's just some ghastliness that's happened. And then we just pray that we may be a place of peace in the world, that we may affect those around us. We pray for our leaders that they may be a place of peace in the world and affect those around them. We pray for all those in war situations, people made homeless by war, particularly in Iraq. We pray for areas where there is difficulty and danger, violence, oppression, dictatorship. We pray for those subject to that, people in prison, people hurting. We pray for our country that we might be an example of that peace. And we just give thanks for our valley here, for the peace that we experience here. We just pray that somehow some of that may be able to go out into the world. And Lord, we just think of things, people that we know that are suffering at the moment, we know are in difficulty. We just name them in our hearts now.
And just as a community, we particularly pray for the family of Bob Murray, who passed on the 5th of this month. His memorial is going to be at the Wheeler in September. We pray for Anne Lindley, who's lost her daughter to brain cancer. Pray for the family of Valbrick Carlberg, whose memorial is this Saturday. Pray for Sharon Wells, for Carlisle, for Lee Bouguet, for Soleil, for Tricia Nichols, for Anne Hodges, Barbara Orcutt, Molly McCarthy Coman, Pat Smith, Will Welsh, and Patricia Hill. Lord, we just hold these people, send them your peace and love. In Jesus' name, amen.